Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unsackable Podcast. I am your host for today, Josh Deming, and I am joined, as always, by Adrian Sosa and Filippo Silva, but unfortunately, no Manuel. He's uh, He was in Germany. He went to the Dortmund game, and we really wish we could have got some insight on that because I'm assuming it would have been an excellent atmosphere, but unfortunately, he just wasn't able to make the podcast. So we'll start off with Adrian. Adrian, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. And, you know, with every episode comes a little Benfica update, and we are now at 13 wins from 13 matches. Roger Schmidt is truth, and Benfica is the biggest club in the world, and that's all I have to say on that matter right now. So things are going great, Josh, and I'm looking forward to this episode. We're going to get flagged by misinformation right there. (laughs) No, no, no. no. There's there's facts to back it up. No losses, 13 wins, 13 matches. There's no misinformation there. No, no, it's a hard flex from Adrian as always. And to be fair, him and I did do a Champions League prediction and he was very vocal about Benfica's chances to get ahead of Juventus, potentially even top the group. And Juve look like they are in uh, in big trouble in the Champions League and, and Benfica are just flying. And the more confidence you get like that week in, week out, you just, you almost feel like at some point you're going to be a little untouchable. But uh, Filippo, what about you, my man? Now, I know that maybe you're, your team isn't doing as well as uh, as Benfica, but do you have any Palmeiras updates for us before we get going here? What do you mean we're not doing as well? We lead the league over eight points. That's eight true. Points. We got dumped out of the Copa Libertadores, so you know. Yeah, that was it. Was quite a rough game, right? A red card doesn't help, and also the ref playing against us doesn't help much at all. But we're still the greatest team in South America, and yeah, there is one update on Palmeiras that. Actually, me and Adrian were very excited for over the weekend. And then Abel Ferreira did what he does best and disappointed us. Endrick was finally brought in, the 16-year-old that everyone's talking about so much. And we talked about here probably before everyone else. He he made the bench for Palmeiras for the first time. And everyone was very excited for him to make his debut. And I think at one point he was going to make his debut. But Palmeiras got a red card once again in this game, which they always do every game, including Abel Ferreira, the coach. He also got a red card, which also happens way too often. And Endrick did not make his debut. But Palmeiras ha- will be missing a lot of players on Wednesday, and Endrick will be on the bench once again. So maybe we finally get to see his debut. That's something to look forward to. Couple humble fans right there. You got gotta love it. But let's start off, guys, with the first big topic. And and it, it comes with controversy. It comes with just all kinds of different stories around it. It's the Atletico versus Real Madrid game, which was supposed to be a Madrid derby, one that we were all going to be excited for, one that was hopefully going to be a good match. But unfortunately, there were some pretty ugly scenes that happened before. Uh, and it goes a little bit deeper than that. So, Felipe, we'll throw it over to you. Do you want to just give our viewers a little context about? kind of the Vinicius situation and what really sparked this really disgusting turn of events that ended up happening at uh, the Juana Metropolitano. Yeah, for starters, one thing to say, I, I still thought the game itself was good. I enjoyed watching the game, but yes, there is these issues outside of the field that we need to address. So essentially what happened was on Friday, before the, the game was on Sunday, on Friday, Pedro Bravo, the president of agents associations in Spain, He came out and he said that Vinicius needed to respect his opponents. If he was going to dance after, you know, scoring, he should just go back to to Brazil to the Sambodromo. Sambodromo is where we have the carnival um, and people samba, right? So a lot of go back to your country vibes right there, the first thing. And then he said that Vinicius had to stop doing the monkey, which... Obviously, in any connotation, referring to a black person as a monkey is racism. 
But his whole argument for not being racist there was that to do the monkey in Spain is to fool around, right? And it's true in Brazil, there's also a term named macaquisi, which is meant to be to fool around. But again, it's the overall context of it. I have no doubt that he was being extremely xenophobic and racist. And I'm not the type of person to go ahead and just scream racism for no reason or xenophobia. But that's literally what happened. And we've seen that happen in Spain quite often, right? To be honest, I'm not saying my country is perfect, the United States, anything like that. But we've seen it happen in Spain quite often to... to believe that's what happened. And then I put out that tweet and some people were defending the guy saying that to do the monkey is to fool around. But then we reached to the game and very likely due to his comments on Vinicius Jr. Before the match started between Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, there was hundreds, if not thousands of people outside of the stadium before they got in, just screaming and chanting that Vinicius Jr., was a monkey that and that was just not even do the monkey or be the monkey whatever just calling him straight up a monkey so his words led to that there's no doubt in my mind in regards to that that's why you got to cut it off right when it starts because if you keep letting it go it gets worse and we remember not so long ago if i'm not mistaken it was in spain when dani alves played for barcelona and you guys can correct me if i'm wrong someone threw a banana on him and he even ate it as a joke but But again, it it happens a little bit way too often, Uh, not just in Spain, in Europe, but in Spain, it happened more than often. And and La Liga has to do something about it. Again, if you don't cut it off, it gets worse, progressively worse. And and I know people, some people from Europe are going to come after me and say, who are you to talk about? You're from the United States. Trust me, you will not see. We have a lot of problems in regards to that, that we have to address, not really soccer related, but you're not going to see thousands of people calling a black guy a monkey in a United States stadium. That's not going to happen. No, and now this is one of the biggest games in Spain. It's it's, a, it's an unbelievable rivalry. And now this is also one of the biggest stars. I mean, in Vinicius, Mbappe, Holland, they're, they're the future. And to have this type of scene happen, and it, it goes a lot deeper than that. It's, it's truly ugly. You, whether those, like you said, the comments were taken out of context or not, regardless, you should have someone behind you saying, hey, yeah, probably not the best way to phrase this. Just have a little bit more due diligence when doing an, an interview and speaking like that. But I want to take a look at the... But the Josh, meet- let me just add one thing here too, um, completely out of the racist or xenophobic, xenophobic topic. What the hell is the problem with Vinicius Jr. dancing when he scores? There's none. Right? There, there's, there's no none. problem. Uh, it's, just, it's just that it's something that I've noticed is Ever since Brazilians started to go to Europe for soccer, which that really started to become a trend in the 90s. Before that, there were Brazilians already going to Europe, but it, was a, it wasn't like a large amount. It really grew in the 90s, 2000s, it skyrocketed, and now pretty much every good Brazilian player goes to Europe. They slowly killed off what Brazilian soccer culture is, and that's a lot to do with the way Europe deals with it. Right. Vinicius doesn't dance because he's trying to, you know, make fun of the opponent. It's part of Brazilian soccer culture. Brazilian soccer cultures play soccer with joy, put on a show, dance, have fun. We have a martial art in Brazil called capoeira, which is literally a dance. It is a dance. I thought Vinicius spoke very well. He was asked about the dance in an interview and he just kind of said it goes deeper than just this dance. And and after the remarks that were getting said to him, I noticed over the weekend, I'm not sure if you guys did, but 
I saw uh, Gabriel Jesus do that dance. Um, I saw Lino, I believe, or it was a, Dude, no, so it was a um, the Valencia striker who scored. I think his last yeah, name was Sosa. He did the dance as well. A the lot of them Brazilian were sticking players. up. The Brazilian players in Brazil, when they score in Brazil, so they're in their own country, right? They dance when they celebrate. That's very common. Ronaldinho Gaúcho used Ronaldinho used to score and and do his little samba. Dance. It's it's just the way the Brazilian culture is. He's not doing it to make fun of the opponent. But again, um, some people seem bothered by it. I don't know why. And then they go on and they say that the Joga Bonito is dead. Of course, it's dead. It's been murdered by Europeans for the past three decades. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, with dancing and showing your, your culture. And look at the other ways. I mean, Holland meditates. Like, I, I don't know. Like Everyone does their celebrations differently. Everyone has yeah. celebrations. I like the way that a lot of Brazilians over the weekend, at least I noticed, uh, s- stepped in and, and started dancing. I can list list three off the top of my head. I'm not sure if, if Adrian has, has caught any. But, um, but Adrian, I, w- I want to take it to the media perspective as well quickly. Uh, there was an interview with Koke before the game as well. And I felt really bad for Koke because they kind of put him in uh, an unfair predicament. He's the captain of Atletico. They're going up against their their arch rivals. You know how passionate your fan base is. And if there's any way to gear them up, it's going to be through the captain. And they kind of asked about Vinicius and said like, well, what happens if he dance, dances? And they, set, they kept pushing it to a point where he had to say something. And then he kind of, with n- not being malicious, but came out and kind of said like, Something along the lines, and I'm just trying to, to translate it, is if he does dance, there will be trouble. And that's the way he kind of put it. So, Adrian, I'm, I want to frame this question. Like, did the media have a part to play in this by trying to create these narratives that really spark the Atletico fan base? Or is it just simply, am I looking too deep into it? Of course. I mean, they always do. They always try and spark that up a little bit. And I think that, especially with Koke's words, I heard a lot of people say that they were taken a little bit out of context or weren't honestly portrayed to the media because he said something more along the lines of like, if he does dance, yeah, there could be problems when he's talking about how the fans will react to it. And that's a totally normal, understandable sort of way of of answering because he's just being realistic. Yes, it could cause issues. Yes, he knows his fan base and he knows how they could react. And that was sort of backed up by what we saw outside of the stadium prior to the match, as you and Filippo just mentioned with all the chants. There was someone that even had a monkey doll dressed up as a Real Madrid player and they're chanting, you know, that Vinicius is a monkey, etc. And then even during the match, I retweeted this image. It showed Rodrigo and Vinicius dancing in celebration and there was Atletico supporters doing Nazi salutes in the crowd. And then, of course, there was that sort of discrepancy, I guess you could say. There's sort of a bit of... uh, It's up in the air as to whether people were chanting monkey or clown or fool is it josh stupid 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 exactly after venetius had tried to do that rainbow flick so i guess you could see it as inflammatory from koke but i feel like i i'm on the same side as you here where i feel like he got pushed and he got pushed and he got pushed into an answer and he just answered it realistically where it's yes it could cause issues but i don't know that putting the blame on him is necessarily fair in this case no, I, d- I definitely don't think it's fair. I just I was more so looking at the media perspective. It's like you're pushing this player who you know, if anyone can get a reaction similar to a Simeone on the pitch, it's going to be Koke to get something out of the that that incredible, which can be an incredible fan base. But instead, it, it just turned to something so ugly, um, and it just it's just really disappointing, isn't it, Adrian? It is, and it's obviously hypocritical. 
because I mean, Antoine Griezmann, an Atletico player, used to do the you know take the L celebration all the time. That's far more disrespectful than just dancing. Like, was it disrespectful of Shabalala at the 2010 World Cup to dance when he scored against Mexico with his teammates? Of course not. Everyone reveled in that. But now that this is happening in Spain, you know, it's a rival team, a rival player, and he's going to dance in front of you. Suddenly, there's a big issue, and you're causing issues, and you're causing uh, inflammation in the crowd, and blah 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 blah. It's just it's so easy to see through this narrative that they're pushing. Yeah, I also think if you don't want him to dance in front of your crowd, don't let him score. Win the game. Don't let them score. That's a, another way to look at it, right? Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think Koke also he might have been taken out of context, but he probably needs to learn how to properly speak in public. Then he should probably yeah. say, "Sure, it could cause problem with the fans, but we don't support that, and hopefully they don't do anything." But that's not what he said. And that's where I'm looking at the media. It's like, again, like when I, when I was talking about what, what, Koke, what happened to Koke is the media t- kind of twisted his word, backed him into a corner. And then and just in terms of Koke re- aside, the dancing situation, the attention came from the media out of nowhere. Like you guys just mentioned, there's multiple, numerous people who are dancing and, and sitting. And I'm, there's a beer that was, th- that was grabbed by a player and drank one time. Like celebrations are some of the funnest parts about this sport and dancing surely is not an offensive one whatsoever, but the media drawed it up so much that you're pressing different players about it it just turned to a a super ugly scene and it's just it's downright ridiculous the fact that we're sitting here today talking about whether Vinicius should dance or not I I feel like the media was trying something was trying to get their clicks whatever it may be but it, it it and as well as the athletical fans who just clearly have just absolutely no respect for um for Vinicius or or any basically player with color it was just really sad guys but let's try to move on from it we, we addressed it it's it's disgusting i'm looking at la liga now to make a big statement i'm hoping that the wanda is going to be empty for i would hope a few matches this has got to be a big punishment they've got to make a statement especially involving a it doesn't matter that it's a world star but it is it's vinicius and it's and he's spoken out in my opinion pretty well about it but let's turn to the pitch now this despite what happened was a pretty entertaining game. Now I have a couple thoughts that I'll I'll bring up about the tactics with Simeone, but it, off the get go, it looked like Atletico. This was their match for the taking. I mean, Benzema wasn't there. They were at home. They had a, a very loud fan base behind them. There was some noise that was going into this match, and they dominated. I'd say the opening twenty ish minutes, and then what I like about this Real Madrid side and what I liked about them last year through their Champions League journey is that yes they're one of the best teams in the world their their history would say would tell you that but they don't panic and that's something that I want to throw back to you Adrian when you watch this Madrid side and you watch them through last season as well every time that they were down or every time something wasn't going their way instead of panicking maybe conceding they just took it up They, they sucked up the pressure they know how to defend they're very calm and when the opportunity strikes and you have someone who's in Vinicius's uh, and, and even now Rodrigo's and, and even Valverde, this interesting front three that they've created in that type of form, they will hit you on the break and they will punish you. And that's pretty much what Real Madrid did. They almost, and Simeone took a little shot at them saying they almost took a chapter of the 2014 Atletico. Yeah, I thought that that was a little bit funny. And it's it's true. It just shows how dynamic and how talented the squad is. Um, you have someone like Ancelotti, who we're hearing even more how much of a great man manager he is. I don't know if you guys heard the quotes that came out from Rudiger, I believe, today, speaking about how Ancelotti just showed up at his house randomly, came in, sat with his family, talked with them. It's all these little things that he's building this great sort of 
team unity in that dressing room. And then there's the aspect that he has all these sort of deputies on the pitch, your Modric's, Kroos, Courtois now. He has all these players that he can look to as leaders on the pitch. And like you said, they don't panic when they're in these situations because yes, they can dictate the play against smaller teams and they can do it against bigger teams as well if they so choose. But they also know that letting Atleti have the ball, letting them struggle with the ball in the attack, which is something that happens quite often with Atletico Madrid these days, that was a masterstroke. Let them have the ball, let them do the busy work with it, and let's just hit them on the break. And they did that time and time again with that rapid, rapid front three. And Valverde has been, you know, I said in one of my videos, like it feels like he's finally arriving. And some people took a bit of an exception to that because he's been good for seasons, right? But now he's adding this new aspect where he has a finish. You know, we've seen him score two bangers with his left foot. This one was not so much a banger. It was a... Uh, you know, putting away a rebound. I, I like to call it a, a bounce pass from Vinicius. He played a little wall pass off the post straight to Did Valverde. someone say bounce pass? Yes, uh, there's Greg Bearhalter here. How are you? Good to see you. But I yes, I did say... <laughs> yeah, so I I just think that this Real Madrid side, they showed once again just how dynamic they can be in the multitude of ways that they can hurt you. And like you said, Josh, just so mature and well-run by this Ancelotti. And, and Filippo, how, I mean, how, how special is it to watch Vinicius? I mean, I just feel like the transformation of this player has been incredible. He came in, a lot of hype under him. He, he kind of took his time, and then last season he's blown up, and he's con- he's showing it very consistent, consistently as well, along with Rodrigo coming in, trying to play a role. How impressed are you with the two, and uh, how, how deadly do you think Vinicius is going to be this season? Yeah, it's kind of crazy to me because I, I think, Adrian, a long time ago we talked about this. I still think the same, okay, by the way. He asked me which one I preferred, Rodrigo or Vinicius. I still rate Rodrigo higher than Vinicius. I think Rodrigo has more composure, um, better in tight spaces than Vinicius. But Vinicius, just the explosiveness, the pace, the ability to, you know, cut opponents is quite impressive and he figured out his finishing last season too which his major problem was finishing at first in Flamengo he didn't even play much um and yeah Josh is pointing their verticality from Vinicius lots of verticality from Vinicius it's exciting right because these are also two players that really along with I I see them I'm not going to mention Neymar because Neymar's already 30 but I think Vinicius Rodrigo Anthony, Rafinha, they bring back a little bit of that Brazilian essence to soccer, right? They're players that like to make a trick. They're very technical. And uh, like Rodrigo has all that futsal in him and a little bit of the Joga Bonito that we talk about. And these are the players. And I'm very excited for these four in the future of this post-Neymar era. Because Neymar always felt very alone during these this decade. Right. Um, He had quality players around him, but he never had a player like him. But these guys seem much more similar. And it seems like it can be a very exciting team. Right. They didn't like you said, they didn't have Karim Benzema. And then and then Rodrigo has to play as a center forward. He scores a goal with a very nice finish. That's a very tough goal to score. Right. The ball just bounces and show many. What a player replacing Casemiro and looking as good, if not better at his age too. quite impressive. And we talked about this last season. This Real Madrid doesn't this Real Madrid team, they don't need to dominate the game and they don't need to create many opportunities to beat you. You make one mistake, you'll get punished. It's it's actually quite impressive and they've done you know the same thing as um as last season. It looks the same team. It's a very dangerous team and I'm excited to see them in the in the Champions League as well. 
now Adrian, what's up? Oh, nothing. I was going to chime oh. in earlier about Shuamani, and then as I was doing it, you mentioned him. So I have no further things to add. Just how incredible he looks, as you had said, already settling into that midfield because there was a lot of question marks breaking up the Cruz Casemiro Modric midfield. And so far with Shuamani in there, it looks like they haven't really missed a step. Of course, he's young. There's time for him to make some, some mistakes, but so far... Very good from Shuamani. Yeah, and it looks like uh, they they already have Kamavinga, which will probably be one of the other replacements of Kroos or or Modric. And apparently they signed João Gomes, or they're close to signing João Gomes from Flamengo, the promising central midfielder. Very good player, by the way. So Real Madrid has done a very good job lately with their scouting, signing the right pieces, and slowly integrating the young players, which... Doesn't really go on brand when you look back at Real Madrid of the Galacticos era, right? In the 2000s, but they've been very good at that lately. Yeah, that's what I was going to touch on just quickly before we move on to our last point was the fact that the thing I'm liking about Madrid now is the way that they're changing their transfer strategies. And instead of putting the big bucks and bringing in those type of players, they're still dropping a ton of money. There's no, no doubt about it, but they're not afraid to, to, to move on. And I mean, they've tried to move on from Modric a couple of times, but he, they, he just refused to go away. And at the age of 37, he's still doing it, but they got big money from Casemiro. They, they spent it and replaced it with someone almost 10 years younger. And, and it looks like a stroke of genius once again. But the last point I'm going to go is for the Atletico side. And I mentioned this to Adrian before, and I was just super disappointed with the way that Simeone lined up this team because it, to me, it just was a, a clear red flag. I mean, he went with his 3-5-2, which is, which is fair. I didn't really have any arguments. He, they got some injury issues. But then they played Chao Felix and Antoine Griezmann up front, and it made absolutely no sense to me. Uh, Chao Felix ended up getting subbed off. He went down to the dressing room. I don't know if someone maybe told him, hey, Toss an ice pack on the leg, make it look like you're doing that, but get back out there. This is a terrible look. They it, it didn't make any sense because Antoine Griezmann had a good match. I thought. I thought he tried. He he played the full ninety for the first time. Don't don't know what his contract situation is looking like, but he was on the ball. He was dropping deep. He was taking corners. He was taking free kicks. He was becoming the focal point that made him Antoine Griezmann years ago before going to Barcelona. And Chao Felix is the same player. They bought Chao Felix to replace Antoine Griezmann. And if you're going to play one of them on, on the pitch, that is where they want to do. They want to play in that kind of space. They want to they set things up. They want to be that free roam. And because Griezmann was taking it on, it allowed Chao Felix basically to sit up front as that blown nine almost, and he did nothing in the match. Why wouldn't you start Alvaro Morata, who's in good form, who is a goal scorer, who, despite not having a lot of touches or influence on the match, when an opportunity comes his way, he knows where the runs are. He knows how to finish. And he would have been a lot probably more useful than Chao Felix, who just looked miserable. And and Adrian, this has been a story of, of Chao Felix coming to this, this Atletico side, playing under Simeone. He's just not utilized correctly. And I just thought this was a real oversight from Simeone. I agree. I think that if you ask Griezmann and Juan Felix about this match, and if they had their way, let's say, and they could choose where they played on the pitch, they'd probably choose the same area to play, right? So it doesn't make sense to have them both out there at the same time, like you said. Choose one of them. I mean, he wanted to give Griezmann the start, finally, his first start of the season after that whole contractual nightmare or that low nightmare situation that he has going on. He's usually the 60th minute man, but he got the start. And to be fair to Antoine Griezmann, he's been fantastic this season. And Zhuang Felix, the sort of story of his whole Atletico career has been disappointment. Um, I'm a big supporter of his, and I understand that this isn't the ideal team for him to play in under Simeone. He probably should be playing with someone else that wants to be on the ball more, wants to dominate possession, wants to have Zhuang Felix on the ball a lot more. And we saw last season 
that he was playing in a more a little bit deeper role. He definitely is not a number nine. He's either a second striker or a central attacking mid that likes to float out to the left. And last season, at the beginning of the season, he was putting in some of his best performances because he was dropping deeper and getting on the ball a lot more. And that's something that a lot of players struggle with playing in Simeone's side. We had Thomas Lamar saying it in the past when he played as a winger, as he did at AS Monaco, when he played as a winger for Simeone, he would get out of the game completely because he wouldn't touch the ball for five, 10 minutes sometimes. And then when he moved centrally, it started to get better for him. So Juan Felix is the same. He needs to be on the ball in order to have an impact. He can't just sort of float around as a number nine for so long and then just expect that he's going to be involved in the match. It doesn't work out like that for him. And on top of that, he's also had an injury ravaged sort of career since he's gone to Atletico Madrid, which has also been unfortunate. He played for months with a broken foot. We found out last season so I, he just needs to leave at this point there's there's nothing else you can really say at this point because we've been saying it for almost a year or two now that he needs to get out of atletico go on loan somewhere or just seek a transfer out of there but they seem to want to keep on plowing ahead with Ron felix in some way and i'm starting to wonder if that's simply because they paid 124 million euros for him and so they want to get some sort of money's worth without sort of admitting that they made a massive mistake and that it wasn't a fit yeah well maybe if uh atletico have or lose their battle with barcelona they'll have to drop 40 mil on griezmann which means they may one day shift on uh Chao felix but i mean I, I agree it was just a disastrous weekend it was a really poor look on the club on its fan base and this, in my opinion, was also a big opportunity to take on Madrid at home when they don't have Benzema. And this is just a big opportunity, a weekend to forget for Atletico. But it wasn't a weekend to forget for Napoli because at the exact same time, there was another massive match around Europe. It was Milan. It was Napoli. Uh, and it was a, I mean, I, I didn't watch a lot of this match. I had them on at the same time, but I focused a little bit more on the Atletico match. Well, I know Adrian got a good look at this side. How impressive is this new Napoli side, Adrian? They completely turned this team around. I mean, they got a player like Kim coming in at the back who's just looking like a monster. He's already scored, I think, a couple of goals. He had a really good defensive um, display today and a big block that probably should end up in the back of the net. Raspadori's come in. Giovanni Simeone come on and scored a goal. And then, of course, uh, Varadana, which, I, I, you know, he just, you got to mention him. The Georgian has been incredible. This team right now, to me, looks like the favorites to to go on. Now, Napoli have looked like they've been favorites in the past and they've always slipped up, but you're looking at some of the other big hitters around them, Juventus, Inter, now them beating Milan. Can this Napoli side do it, Adrian? What did you think of the match? Well, first of all, I think that Napoli... What they're doing under Spalletti right now is incredible. Now, Spalletti is one of those guys who is a bit divisive in Italy, but he does have a lot of people that swear by his brand of football. And we're starting to see that now in year number two under him, where they're very quick to break out of their own end. They're very quick in the buildup, and they can really, really hurt you on the counter as teams like AC Milan and Liverpool have noticed lately. But what I find even more impressive is they, the market they had this past year or this past summer I should say losing Koulibaly, Fabian Ruiz, Pitania, Dries Mertens, Insigne left as well those are really 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 big names of sort of I guess you could call it the previous cycle of Napoli really um, so they've done incredibly well in who they've brought in as reinforcements Giovanni Simeone, Minje Kim as you mentioned um, Kavada, Kavada Dana has just been incredible as Dest found out. He's very, very difficult to, to sort of defend against. Um, but yeah, this Napoli side, 
I think a lot of people are surprised. A lot of people who aren't watching City Out regularly are surprised by it because they one aren't necessarily aware of Spalletti and the kind of brand of football that his teams are capable of playing, and two, all of these players. It's the scouting from this Napoli team is just fantastic. It's really, really fantastic. Like Araspadori is a highly sought after player that they managed to bring in. Giovanni Simeone has been doing it for Hellas Verona for a while, and now he's over at uh, at Napoli, and he's shown in you know two matches, two goals, I believe. He got that one against Liverpool, and he got another one against AC Milan. So I think that right now, if you're sort of to do a, a power rankings of Serie A at the moment, Napoli and AC Milan are pretty close. And AC Milan, let's be honest, they they could have tied it up. I mean, they had Kalulu rip one off of the crossbar from a wide open goal that could have made it 2-2 very easily right there but I would say that Napoli is just ahead of them as far as form and performances lately and Adrian I know how much you like Atalanta so that must have been very difficult for you to admit because they're also tied at the top of the table but uh yeah I mean quickly on Napoli before we go over to Milan for me the the new pieces I don't think you could have asked for them to to fit better into this system but Nguisa and Labodka, for me, have just completely taken their game to another level. They've made this midfield so dynamic, so compact. They shut everything down, and they've made it so much easier for the forwards to do what they do. Uh, specifically, Nguisa, man, he's just, it, it just, he's just, a, he's just an animal. Like I, I've enjoyed. I've seen this, like this little highlight reel on on Twitter of some of his performances. Um, and like you just mentioned, they're doing it now without uh, Victor Ossiman, who should be in for a giant season considering just how good of a striker he's been. Uh, and that's something that Napoli hasn't really had in the past as well as not having the depth there. Well, Ossiman goes down, you have Raspadori and now Simeone to pick up the pieces and it's good to see them producing. But uh, Tack, we got to look at you now because on the flip side of that result, uh, at halftime, Serginho Des was brought on and then minutes, <laughs> minutes later, unfortunately for him, he gave away a penalty in the 55th minute. Um, it, 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 it was a tough one. What did you make of the Milan display? And do you have any concerns about Des form? And it, will he potentially have a similar future to his Barcelona one here in Milan? So I didn't watch the game because I was watching the Real Madrid match. I just watched the highlights, obviously. And definitely Des's fault in the first one to get the PK. The second one, I can't remember. I think it was more Tamori ball watching in a cross. But I'm not too worried about Des yet. I talked about this at the channel when I was talking about the Americans abroad, uh, I'll be more, and same thing goes for Pulisic, right? Under a new manager. I'll wait for the entire October data before drawing any conclusions, right? He just arrived in AC Milan two, three weeks ago. He wasn't playing much at Barcelona. So that definitely affects the player in terms of match sharpness. He'll get minutes of the United States men's national team. And then honestly, at the end of October, that they're going to have a packed schedule, so he's going to end up getting some minutes, I'll draw some conclusions on whether I should be worried or the fans should be or not. Right now, not too much. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with payouts bigger than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down a stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. 
Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of tactical yanks, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Raycon Earbuds have three sound profiles so you can have a personalized listening experience, as well as an awareness mode where you can hear the world around you. Whether you're doing the most intense exercise or just sitting around, Raycon Earbuds are perfect for you. Go to buyraycon.com slash tbpn today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash tbpn to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash tbpn. All right, but Tap, we're going to throw it right back to you as well. Uh, I'm not sure if you watched the entirety of the Juventus game. I, I did. Um, we're going to mo- now move on to the concept of managers in trouble. And we have three different teams we're going to touch on. The first is Juventus. Obviously, Wes McKinney was a part of that uh, side that was went away to Mozza and lost one nothing, and now sit eighth place in the table. Uh, Allegri doesn't really look like he knows like what he's doing. I know he wasn't even on the bench; it was a little unfair to do that. But in previous matches, this Juventus team just doesn't, to me, look like they have an identity of how they want to play. The integration with some of the younger players in there—it's really looking like this could be a disaster. And there's even reports saying that. Well, Allegri, are you worried about your job? And they were and they were touching on that. And then there's a quote, a, a funny quote that I thought came out. I said, "Well, do you want to pay for Allegri to go away?" So, um, so Tack, I guess right away, did did you watch the match? Uh, what did you make of it? And are you worried for Juventus? Well, I'm not worried for Juventus because I'm not a Juventus fan. I don't care. <laughs> I think that's why. Uh, but I was watching. Yeah, the team just looks dysfunctional, disjointed. Uh, I understand that Di Maria did get that red card towards the end of the first half, and of course that affected them. But there's still no excuses, right? They faced a team that had one draw and five losses in the Serie A. That's the first win. They were in last place, and Juve lost 1-0. Um, uh, in terms of Weston McKennie, I thought he was very poor in the first half. I actually didn't think he was too bad in the second half, right? He was able to create two chances for Juve, uh, was helping a lot on defense, but overall the team just doesn't look good. Uh, and they confirmed today that Allegri will stay. Apparently, Nedved wants to fire him, but the owners don't. I, I think that's what I read today. I don't know, man. Not looking good for Juventus. That's all I, I'll say. I've been watching their games this season because McKinney has been starting, and it's it's just pure soccer terrorism. It's it's horrible. I, I, I hate it more when Allegri goes to his classic 4-4-2. Um. But the four three three is also not looking good either. So that's all I have to say about UV. Yeah, they, they definitely look like they're in a in a bit of trouble. Uh, I believe that's what I read the same report. I think that it said Nevid wanted to get him going. But Adrian, do you have any more uh, background on that conversation? What what is your take on this Juventus side so far this season? Um, they look really horrible, to be honest with you, and they've looked really bad for a long time under Allegri. So it's completely understandable why there's so many supporters that want to get rid of them. I've actually been diving into the 
sort of whole Allegri Juventus situation lately for something I'm working on. And when you go back 13 competitive matches, so to the beginning of May, um, and I'm being kind because I'm including one extra win for him there, but you go back to the beginning of May and there's been 13 matches and Juventus have won three of them which is just horrendous, horrendous form. So this is very much a continuation of what we saw towards the end of last season. And then when you put that up against the fact that they had an insane window this past summer where they brought in Di Maria, they brought in Bremer, they brought in Kostic, Pogba, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's just no excuses. And like Filippo said, they look very disjointed. This is something that I noticed, especially against Benfica. They played with a back three against Benfica, but there was so much space between the defensive line and the midfielders for, you know, two, three Benfica players to just stand in and sort of exploit that space. And that's all down to coaching. So there's clearly a lack of any sort of identity. There's a lack of any sort of understanding between the coach and the players. And the one reason that seems that they are not getting rid of Allegri is because of that payout they would have to pay. They would have to pay about... I believe it's between 20 and 30 million euros in order to fire Allegri, which of course they could amortize over a couple of years, but still they seem very much against that. Like you said, Josh, there's that little kid that said Allegri out to, I believe it was Arriva Bene, the uh, CEO. And he said to the little kid, are you going to pay the next manager that comes? So it's definitely money motivated, but you got a question. Will they still have that stance after we return from this international break and results still don't go well because they would be very far out of the Champions League places? And of course, it looks like they would be out of the Champions League if they can't get those victories against Maccabi Haifa, which to their credit looked pretty, they caused some issues against PSG. So this isn't exactly a layup for Juventus either. So it's it could get hot in October for Mr. Allegri. Yeah, it's way too early to take a look at and writing Juventus off. But I mean, I'm already looking at it and being like, okay, if they're going to win the Scudetto, that means they got to have a big turnaround. And also, if they're going to make it to the round of 16 in the Champions League, they're going to need a big turnaround. It's a disastrous start to the season. Allegri looks lost. It, he, he probably had a lot of goodwill coming back in after winning those titles for Juventus. Uh, I tried to find the article, but I saw a random name that was linked. Now, obviously, it looks like Allegri's going to stay, but I can't remember who the name was. I'm like, and I just thought to myself, really? They're going to sack Allegri for this like this manager. I don't know how legit the rumor was. I don't know if you guys uh, know who it might have been, but I was like, that like that's just such a big step down. I think more than likely, there's, there's, the smartest thing for them to do is probably stick with Allegri in terms of financial. Hope they can secure Champions League bare minimum, go on a deep Europa League run, and then probably target Antonio Conte. I think that's uh, more than likely the the better thing to do. Adrian, I saw your hand up. Uh, you're saying Tudor was one of the ones. I don't know if that was a name I, I, I saw, but I, regardless, I mean, it, it just shows. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Did you see any other names or just Tudor? I I mean, I've seen Zidane as always. He's linked with everyone, but it seems like he's he has his heart set on the French national team. There's Pochettino, but now he's getting linked to Nice. Uh, there's Tuchel, who's available. I don't know if they would necessarily go for him. And then there's Igor Tudor, who made Hellas Verona a horrible team to play against and did pretty well. And you can see they're suffering now without him there. And now he's at Marseille. He's a former Juventus player. He was the assistant to Andrea Pirlo. So he's someone who is very familiar with the club and they're sort of tempted by him for that reason. But he just signed with Marseille. I'd be pretty surprised if they wanted to, one, pay to get rid of Allegri and then two, pay to get Igor Tudor as their new coach. It's, I don't know, it's a bit of a mess at Juve and it seems like uh, this isn't the end of it. 
No, I, I don't think so either. And uh, I mean, I, maybe maybe it was one of those names, but regardless, whoever it was, I just looked. I'm like, I don't even know if that's a big upgrade to do it right now for the payout. My gut's just telling me that they're going to try to wiggle through this season if they can and, and probably target Antonio Conte. It seems like there's a lot of reports saying that that, that would be their, their main man. But I mean, as Allegri's proven, maybe going after former managers isn't always the best thing to do. But we're sticking with the theme of managers in trouble and we're sticking in the Syria and just going down the table a little bit. Actually, let me take a look. Nope, we're going up the table one place from 8th to 7th, and that is Inter, the the favorites. I mean, I think every article I basically read around who would be the favorites to go on and win the Scudetto was Inter Milan, and they started off their season with a 4-0-3 record. Very surprising. And against probably the biggest surprising team in Syria, Udinese went on and won 3-1 at home. So we're going right back to you, Adrian, because I know that you have a nice fascination as well about, about Inter, at least you cover them. Uh, a decent chunk. What's your thoughts on this side? Because I, I agree. If I was going to put money in on a side at the beginning of the season, you have to take a look at that inter side and what they did last year, the depth pieces they brought in, and this really poor start is is Huggy's job. Is it is it on the line? I think that it's getting to a point where at least the Interisti are starting to get really frustrated with him. Now, let the record show right now in front of the world that Adrian had AC Milan winning the league this season as well. I did not buy into the Inter hype once again. But I think the reason for that is is that good midfield, good attack when Lukaku is fit, at least, because as soon as he's taken out of the pitcher, Dzeko and Correa just aren't up to snuff. I mean, credit to Dzeko, he will still get you goals, but it just doesn't compare to that Lalu partnership up front. But I think what the biggest thing is, and this was sort of the backbone the spine of the team is that their defense isn't as good as it used to be now whether that's down to an organizational thing which would be down to Enzaghi or the fact that DeVries is starting to have a little bit of a decline this is something that people are starting to notice now is that DeVries is getting worse and worse and that Skriniar isn't even in the best form either nor is Bastoni and then you have Handanovic in goal which this is one of the more puzzling things is Inter brought in Onana and all of the Inter supporters thought that this was their new keeper. Finally, they're getting rid of Handanovic, who was so, so, so good in the past. But in the last couple of years, he's gotten this reputation of just not diving at strikes towards goal. <laughs> they sort of become this man that they make fun of him for just like standing and watching the ball roll into the back of the net. And you do see that happening with him quite often. To be fair, he had a great game. I think it was last week or something like that. But it is a little bit puzzling what Inzaghi is doing. And putting Handanovic in there all the time because Onana looked good in the Champions League. He looked really good. So there's the goalkeeper situation. There's also the defense. The midfield is looking pretty good still. Um, I think that it's mostly just their their defense that they're really hurting now. And it was such an important piece to this side previously. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen there. I, I, I don't know. I thought they were... I, I, just, I, I just thought they were such a well-rounded team. I agree that they just completely don't look the part uh I, I was a little concerned that sometimes inter has a tendency to bring in players they don't need i, I look at henrik Mkhitaryan as an example yes it could be a decent depth piece but i really didn't think that this is a player that they they needed to go out for uh but they were just adding depth all over the park which is why i think a lot of people thought they were going to be the favorites uh but tact do you have anything to add to this or are we going to go on to the final manager that is on the hot seat in today's episode i just want to say don't think that Inter Milan is done in the Scudetto they can still win it there's they're not that far and there's still a long way to go and again I think the main thing we complimented them when compared to other Serie A teams is their depth so that might play a role later on the the schedule will get very tight there's a world cup um so that's all I'm gonna add I still have them winning I still think they're gonna win 
And that's and that's fair because uh, you're right. I mean, the World Cup this is going to be a season like no other. They definitely have depth. Whether they're performing, we could probably argue about. But it seems for right now, Azagi's position at Inter is probably safe. But it also kind of, I mean, for all the managers we're going to touch on today, we had three of them on the hot seat. Uh, it looks like they're all going to stay. And the last one we're going to touch on is Nagelsmann at Bayern. Now, this is a loss to me that just just is baffling. And I feel like there's a lot to digest here because. FC Augsburg, for me, was going to be one of the favorites to go down. Enrico Mazan, who came in from Borussia Dortmund, number two in the third division, did not convince me that he could take this Augsburg side to to safety. They got off to a rough start, and then all of a sudden, they just started clicking. And some in, in, incredible individual performances for FC Augsburg led to them going at home and for the second consecutive season taking on their Bavarian counterparts and winning and putting Bayern's start to the season with a 3-3-1 record. They're five points behind Union Berlin, who a lot are saying are going to be the Leicester City of the Bundesliga. If you're a Bundesliga fan, you should love this. You should eat this up. This is fantastic. Um, if you're a Bayern fan, you're probably a little bit nervous. And I, I need to raise the question, and it's 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 an easy one. It's a simple one for you guys to both touch on. Philippe, I'm going to you first. Is it as easy as they miss Lewandowski? Because I, at the beginning of the season, said this Bayern will be in trouble. And then after the first three matches, I'm like, oh, maybe I was wrong because Nogsman likes playing in that 4-2-2-2 system. He likes having players who have a similar profile, maybe to like a Timo Werner. And that's where I, th- I thought Sadio Mane could really thrive. He scored some goals. And then they just completely fell off. And they had 19 shots on target against Jan Sommer in that Gladbach game. And you'd imagine if a player like Lewandowski was in that game, he'd make a difference. And seeing him at Barcelona this season, you have to imagine that the goals aren't there. Is it is it that easy just to blame they are missing a true number nine or is there more to it, Filippo? Well, I mean, I, I haven't been following Bayern in terms of watching their games. But but again, if you lose a player like Lewandowski, right, that was giving you, what, 30 goals a season? Close to 40 sometimes? It's going to be missed. I know you signed Sadio Mane, another world-class player, but he's not the same position characteristics as Lewandowski it's a little bit different right um so of course it's affecting them but I would have to watch their games to actually address what issues I think they have I still again um it's still the beginning of the season and just like I said for Inter Milan I also think Bayern will end up winning the Bundesliga and they probably if they have to they'll just make a signing um in January I'm assuming if- yeah, it's it's a little yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things there. Is when you don't win in four matches in the Bundesliga for Bayern, that is almost unheard of. They won their first three, they draw three in a row, and now they just lost. This is this is cause for concern when it comes to Bayern because they are just so demanding when it comes to winning. Uh, I think there's a little bit of leeway because they spent a lot of money to bring in Nagelsmann. He is still young, and they did lose Lewandowski. But I, I was going through Twitter and, and just looking at a few journalists who say that they were kind of under the impression that they thought Bayern was playing a little bit better. I, sh- I, I agreed at times, but it, at the back of my head, I'm like, this Bayern team will, I'm just, I'm going to die on that hill will not be better without Robert Lewandowski because there is no number nine in world football, in my opinion, who has been as good as him over the past few seasons and the records he's broken. And you're seeing it now to transition from the Bundesliga to La Liga. Isn't as easy as it seems. And what he's doing at Barcelona already is impressive for me, the, the Bayern has dropped probably at least six, seven points this season because they don't have someone to put the ball in back in the net. Adrian, do you agree or do you think I'm going to die on that hill? I mean, 
at the beginning of the season, I remember talking about how, you know, oh, maybe this will be ideal for Bayern's attack because it could be far more fluid. I think we had this conversation on the podcast, actually. It could be far more fluid, you know, players who aren't really bound by a position. And, you know, your Sanes, Coman's. Mane can sort of float around Musiala. They can all sort of swap positions and be a nightmare for other teams. And thus far, it hasn't really worked out. And I think like, like Filippo said, it is early in the season, just like it's, it's too early to write off Inter, for example, it's too early to write off Bayern. Maybe they need a little bit more time to sort of get that fluid attack going again, because it's not so much a defensive issue for Bayern. I don't think that they've conceded a ton of goals. And Josh, you can sort of fact check me on that. But it hasn't really been a defensive issue. They've been scoring goals. I mean, seven of them came against Bochum, I believe. I think that it's just getting used to this new sort of approach. Now, the one thing that is sort of, you know, makes every seat a little bit hotter for managers that are struggling is that there's someone like Thomas Tuchel who is available right now and who apparently would be open to returning back to Germany. And apparently the Bayern executives sort of like Tuchel. They see him as a good option, blah, 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 blah. So I think that ultimately Bayern are going to be fine. And my expectation is that they will get the attack up and running. Mane will get used to this sort of new setup and new role because yes, he did play centrally for Liverpool at times last season, but this is more of a bona fide, you're the man in the middle kind of situation at Bayern. And I think that it will start to click. I mean, we've seen them beat Inter and Barcelona. Yes, the Barcelona performance wasn't great, but they're still beating these really big teams in Europe. It's just sort of baffling what's happening in Germany right now. Yeah, it's the consistency that I think when it comes to Bayern right now, I think there's a few different issues for me when I watch them. Uh, It's the fact that I think Nagelsmann, and there's been reports that he has been stubborn and he's not very open when he's made mistakes. He he doesn't take responsibility. He's really trying to mold his Bayern team into that old Leipzig side that was so much fun to watch. And it's not it's not really clicking. You have a lot of talent up front. It makes the midfield a little bit open and he's not knowing exactly what to do. He's he's starting to play Mane a little bit out wide as opposed to that number nine. He has Thomas Muller playing as that dual striker sometimes with Jamal Musala. It's not really working. You're taking what made Thomas Muller such an, a fantastic player over the years and, and you're kind of hurting that. Musala has been shining for sure. I think Sané's looked pretty good. Mane's had his moments, but he started as a lone striker. He's been pushed out wide. It's just not clicking, and, I, and I'm and i waiting for him to see what type of tactical switch he should do. I personally want to see the 4-2-3-1. If Kingsley Coleman comes back out, have him, have Sané, pick your pick between Mula and Musala through the middle. you got to try to do something a little bit different because I don't think Thomas Mula playing way up front like that is the answer. And also at the back, I mean, Delict, it hasn't been good. I mean, they have conceded the like the odd goal, and that's been directly at fault for Delict. He's looking like he's going to take a little bit more time to adapt to the Bundesliga. I've never been a big fan of Upamakano. I think those two have a mistake in them probably each and every match. And so far, we've kind of seen that between the two. I think they really need to pray that Lucas Hernandez can stay fit. But it, it hasn't it hasn't been a good start. And in terms of a potential replacement, I mean, a little bit of the ego of not wanting to make a mistake with Nagelsmann, I think is going to come into play. But there's been a, a tendency over the years of Bayern flirting with potential ex-Dortmund coaches. They did it with Klopp, never got him. They've done it with Tuchel. Maybe if things don't change quickly, uh, I'd be a little bit surprised, but those are our managers on the hot seat, guys. And that brings us to an end of the episode. Uh, touched on a lot of things there, uh, mainly on the Madrid derby, which I thought was pretty good. Any final words from either one of you, Adrian? Anything you want to say before we get going? Uh, no, just... Uh... Great job, Josh. This is really fun. That's all I got to say. Just good vibes. Hell yeah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Felipe, what about you?
Filippo said, F it, I'm gone. I was muted and I, I was talking <laughs> to myself here for a second. No, no, nothing else to add. It was a great episode. And hey, I, there is one thing. If you made it this far in the podcast, please drop a review. I mean, you listen to us for 50 minutes. Five stars, please. There you go. That's why, why we brought Filippo in. All right, guys, appreciate it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And as always, like Manuel Vaith would say, cheers and bye-bye. <laughs>